Okay, we are in Colossians chapter 3, and um, we're in a section that um, goes down through about verse 17, uh, and then it's going to become real practical, talking about husbands, wives, children, masters, slaves, and so on. Um, But the first part of the chapter, Paul is talking to us about how we should be living our lives, and especially in light of the heresy that was in the church at Colossians. And so in chapter three, verses one through four, which was taught on two weeks ago, um, Paul lays a foundation for us, and it has to do with where our heart and our mind is, and that is that our heart and our mind is with Christ in heaven. Um, Let's read that. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, because it's a pretty short little section there. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of, of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, our th- our affections, the things that are important to us, our mind, the things that we think about, should constantly be directed toward heaven. That's where the true reality is. Um, we have Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Uh, that's a, a principle that we have to hold on to. Um, we have died with Christ and therefore our lives should be different. We've been raised with Christ. When Christ comes, we will return with him in glory. That's the reality for the Christian, and that's where we're to set our minds. Um, As you take your mind off of that, you begin to lose that perspective, and our perspective then becomes very earthly and very worldly. Um, And then I believe what Paul is going to do now in verses five through 11, which was studied last week, and then 12 through 17, is he's going to make that very practical in the sense of what does that look like on a daily basis. So if our desire is to be like Christ, if we understand what Christ is doing, if we truly understand that we've died with Christ, then there are things that we should be putting off out of our lives. And that was what was covered last week. So let's go ahead and read that little section as well, 5 through Uh, 11 says put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming in these you too once walked when you were living in them but now you must put them all away anger wrath uh, malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barium, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul begins with what should we put off? And of course, that was the focus of last week. you might ask the question, if we've died to these things, why do we have to put them off? And, and we know the answer to that. It's because, it's because we still battle with them. 
uh, we, we live in this world, we are still um, have an old nature that is, is drawn back to those things and we are to put those off. What's interesting though is that, that we don't necessarily put them off by, by the typical means. The whole idea here is the idea that Paul will talk about of walking in the spirit that we lead a life that's yielded to the Spirit, and the Spirit will prompt, and we will respond. But if you go right back, it's, I think it's really important in this passage, if you go back, uh, Paul talks about the three things that don't work to put off those old things. And the one is legalism. Setting up your set of rules doesn't work. And mysticism, finding some special knowledge that's going to help you. And the third one is asceticism, to treat your body harshly, to try and eliminate those things. Those things don't work. What works? Well, yielding to the Spirit and then being obedient to, to His direction. And there will be things that we will simply say, no, I will not do this. Uh, no, I won't do that. I will. I, when that thought comes into my head, we put that thought away. When I'm tempted to do that, I avoid the temptation. You know, it was interesting as I was thinking about that, think about the Lord's Prayer. Um, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next one? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You understand what you're praying for there? I'm praying that God's will would be done in my life. That's yielding to the Holy Spirit. Thy will be done. I know it says thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but where does it start? But it starts on earth, but it starts in our heart, right? When you pray the Lord's Prayer, um, it should start with you and work out. Thy will be done in my life. Thy will be done in my family. Thy will be done in the church. Thy will be done in the larger community, the idea will be done on earth. It starts with me, yield my life. And then what's, what do we say next? Give us this day our daily bread, and then what? Lead us not into temptation. I, I think the Lord's Prayer is modeling that, a yielding to Christ, and then praying to God to, to deal with those temptations and drawing upon his strength to do that. Otherwise, we're gonna find ourselves going to legalism or treating our body harshly and thinking that we're gonna somehow solve these problems, putting it off, um, those old things. Now, this week, we get to look on what we get to put on. And so, um, it's an easy list. None of you will have any trouble with it, I'm sure. Um, I'm joking, of course. As soon as you read it, you're going to understand how tricky this is. If ever we need um, dependence upon the Holy Spirit, it's going to be in this passage. Verse 12 through 17 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, before we go further, is it warm to anybody else in here? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sweating like crazy. We might want to check that thermostat and maybe open a door in here. Is that too bright to open that? It's probably going to slam shut on us. But. Okay. Here it comes, yeah. Maybe I should open the other door then if this one's going to shut. Here comes the other one. Okay. Well, this will this will work. This is it's it's better. I guess we could put that put the box there. I don't know if that box is going to hold it, but that's okay. Okay. All right. But we just have a room full of problem solvers. This is great. I think that's holding it for now. Okay. Um, this passage begins by telling us to put something on. So take off and put on. Um, I think those two things are done simultaneously. I think there's things during the day that, or each day that God asks you to put off. There are things that we're being asked to put on. I know some will say, well, you can't put on without putting off first. But, but I think the analogy here is of walking in the spirit where we are yielding our life and there will be times where we're prompted to not do something and where we're prompted to do things and we're putting off and putting on. The, the word here, the put on, is a continuous. This isn't once in the past. This isn't the day that you committed your life to Christ. This is something that happens every single day. Um, we are constantly putting on the things that are mentioned here. Look what he does next though. Put on then what? as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He is appealing to you based upon who you are in Jesus Christ. You are a chosen one of God. Uh, you are being asked to do this because God chose you to be like his son. Um, this isn't a general call to everybody in the world. This is why you can't take this passage and moralize it. It's for believers. And then to make sure we understand that, we are holy and beloved. What does holy mean? Set apart. Set apart. We've been set apart for a purpose. And that is mentioned at the end of the passage. Um, everything is done for God's glory. You've been set apart to be like Jesus Christ. Um, and you are not just set apart, you are beloved. And we talked about that, you can preach a whole sermon on that, but God loves you. He desires this for you, not because this is a set of rules, but because this is what we were made for. This is who we're supposed to be. And as you read this passage, you begin to understand that what G Paul is doing is painting a portrait of Jesus Christ. You've been chosen to be like him. You are made holy, set apart by his blood. And you are loved. And God wants the absolute best for you. And this is the best. All those other things are the worst. This is the best. So 
let's go ahead and list the things that we're to put on. You guys have your Bibles there. What does it tell us we're to put on? Let's start right at the top, because otherwise it's going to mess me up. Compassionate hearts. And if I don't spell something right, just go with it. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Kindness. Humility, right? What's next? Meekness. Meekness. Um, Some Bibles will say here gentleness. And I'm going to put it down because some of the verses we may look at speak of gentleness instead of kindness. What's next? Patience. Patience. And? What's? Okay, uh, yeah, and then it's interesting. Um, we can put, um, I don't know if these are things, these kind of are said put on, and then it tells us an action we should take, but let's just go ahead and list it. So uh, bearing with, we'll put that as forbearance. And forgiveness is next, right? And then what? Love, I believe. Is that right? Love. And then it gives us a bunch of instructions. And I actually would put forgiving and forbearance in those, but it tells us to admonish one another. Um, To sing uh, praises, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. These may be linked together. It may be that we admonish through singing, but I think we admonish without singing as well. And be thankful. Uh, That was over here, huh? Um, Be thankful. And then do everything in the name of Christ. What was that? Uh, Admonish and teach, yeah. Teach and admonish. Uh Uh-oh, there it goes. There we go. All right, that'll work. Solve the problem. Okay, now... um, there's a lot of things here, and I, I'm just going to start going through them. We're not going to get over to here today. I think we're going to kind of stay over here. Um, let's, let's start with this one. We are to put on compassionate hearts. Um, the word compassionate heart there is actually a Hebrew phrase that Paul brings in. This is, you've probably heard it, bowels of mercy. Um, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, uh, thought of emotions as coming from the pit of the stomach, from your bowels. We think of the emotions coming from the heart, right? I think they're right. When you get nervous, where do you feel it? In, your, in the pit of your stomach. Um, we, we tend to, that's where they would have seen the source. So the idea here is that this is, and this is kind of interesting, this is actually an emotional response. Um, We might translate compassionate hearts, but you could also kind of put this as to take pity. Um, The actual word compassion means to feel along with somebody else. And we are to be compassionate people. Go ahead, Tom. Tender mercies. Yeah. Um, we, we have a bunch of ways of translating, but it all implies that we are able to place ourselves in another person's situation. Um, in other words, the other people around you are what we're to be focusing on. In fact, what you see in almost all of these is that these all are outward focused. 
They look outward. The Christian life is one which is lived for other people. It's not lived for yourself. It's lived for other people. When we see somebody in need, we're supposed to be compassionate toward them. Now, we're going to get to this in a second. We're going to link these two together because I think there's a link between these. You have compassionate hearts and you have kindness. The compassionate heart, in a sense, is the emotion. The kindness is the action. Um, they're almost linked together. You, you could have compassion without kindness. And I imagine you could have kindness without compassion, although I think that would be a little harder. Uh, by the way, it's real easy to have compassion without kindness, right? Very easy to do, actually. Um, let, me, let me read something here on kindness. Um, kindness, this is... Um, a couple of commentators mention this. Kindness is the overflowing of ourself onto others. Um, or it seeks to meet the needs of others through our own deeds. So as we go through life, we're going to see people in need. What's the response? Well, the first response is to place ourselves in their position. And the second response is to respond to that and to work, uh, to, to do something about it. Um, did Jesus do that? In an ultimate way, yeah. Uh, well, in an ultimate way, yes. He saw the ultimate need, which was the, the sin problem that we had, and he placed himself, put himself in our place, and came and died on the cross. It wasn't just a feeling. The feeling was followed by an action. How about as he lived among us? Yeah. How many times does it say Jesus felt compassion toward them? And then immediately action follows. I think the one that's probably the one that springs to my mind is the feeding of the 5,000, right? He looked at the people and he felt compassion for them. And so he provided food for them. What does James tell us? Go over to James with me. James chapter 2. verse 14 what good is it my brother if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled that's the compassion I guess not very compassionate but without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it is, does not have works, is dead. If you go back just a couple of verses to chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the widow and orphan in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, this is modeled for us by Jesus Christ. As Joseph said, ultimately, but also practically, if we look back over the history of Christianity, wherever Christians go, there are orphanages, hospitals, um, soup kitchens or places to help the poor. And there are, of course, um, I missed one, but you get the idea, right? That, that's what happens because that's the overflow. 
But that's a bigger sense. So, so as we go through these, how do we do this? What does it mean to put that on? Uh, how, do we, how do we put this on in our lives? What are you going to do to make yourself more compassionate? Other than, like we said, we yield to the, the Holy Spirit's prompting, but what would that prompting look like? Tom. Yeah. But at the end of this passage, he also says to be um, in the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's in us, and it dwells in such a way that it's kind of like grafted on, becomes part of us, so that we are word directed. Okay. Very good. I want to measure what I'm doing to, well, is this a biblical Okay, so if we don't know the Word of God, if I understand what you're saying, if we don't know the Word of God, then it's going to be hard to do this because our, our life should be measured against the, the Word of God. And by the way, the idea of compassion runs all the way through the Scripture. It's not just a New Testament thing. I can bring up all sorts of verses from the Old Testament that talks about God's compassion toward us and toward His people. Just to piggyback on that, do not be conformed to this world transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Um, Rod. Well, I think if you look at your definition of kindness and put ourselves in the position of another, I think, I think that applies even to the non-believer. Especially to non-believer. Especially for us to put ourselves in the position because we're there. We know their blindness. We understand their blindness. And, and so they can be mean and, and hateful in the way they talk to the Lord, and, but the Lord was caring, and he cared back. He shared everything in kindness, and he wasn't, he wasn't bludgeoning them with a club of, of, of the scripture. He was, he was compassionate in the way he presented it. Yeah. Um. I mean, he, he spoke truth. You know, he never departed from the truth. But. Yeah, and that would be the found foundation. We are going to say what's true, and yet that would be speaking to somebody. Compassion is more the action. Um, let, me, let me throw out an idea, because I've had a little more time to, to ponder it, but there's the verse in Corinthians that talks about taking every thought captive. You know what's real easy for me when I see somebody um, in need or whatever, it's to kind of think, well, they kind of, maybe they deserve it, you know? <laughs> maybe that person, you know what I mean? You just sort of, the way you go through life, the way you don't deal with people is you just treat them as if they're, they're, they're it's their fault or they didn't even, uh, they it, just kind of ignore them as people. And when that happens, we need to take that thought captive. This is a person for whom Christ died. This is a person who, who, may have made terrible choices, but I made terrible choices and you made terrible choices. These people need the love of Christ. They need compassion. Um, it's real easy to just cling on to that wallet, right? <laughs> Instead of opening it and, and being kind towards somebody or seeing somebody and not being willing to act upon it. Um, I, I think we need to watch our thought life and what we think when we see people who are in need. And then 
what we, what, how we respond to that, Tom. Yeah, we break down strongholds. Yes, it is so easy. Well, they probably deserve it. It's like they want to slap the person instead of help the person. And yet, we actually deserve, all of us, quite a bit more. So when we meditate on what we have been saved from, by His grace, His love, His mercy, nothing to do with my works, it's helpful. Yeah. So that reason my daughter doesn't have to think to be parenting. <laughs> yeah. If if we got what we deserved, we would all be in hell, as a friend of mine used to say. Um, let Let's move on because I do want to go through a few more of these. Humility. This may be the hardest one, right? Because the minute you know you're humble, you're not. Um, it's one of those hard ones to deal with. Um, we have an idea in our mind of what humility. Uh, is. So let me just throw out a couple of things. Um, I've heard it said that humility is thinking rightly of yourself, which is probably a pretty good definition. But let me just throw out uh, two things. Um, This one comes from Ray Steadman. He said that humility is not thinking of ourselves at all. Humility is when when you're not you're out of the picture. This is Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards said, humility is not putting ourselves down, but lifting others up. That's humility. Um, Treating other people um, without thinking about yourself. So it's, it's taking the thoughts off of ourselves and what's important to me and good for me and putting them on other people. It's again, this outward focused life where the, the people around us are the ones who are important. Um, Do we see humility in Jesus Christ? As Joseph would say, ultimate humility, right? What did Jesus have? He had it all, and he left it all for us. In fact, if you go to Philippians um, chapter 2, all three of these get mentioned in this uh, incredible passage where Paul is is begging the church. A couple of uh, women in the church were fighting with each other and two factions were springing up. And, and so Paul writes this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, that's the same idea as compassion, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full of, in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And that was that idea. Lift. Think about others rather than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and having been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the picture of Christ is that of absolute humility, 
thinking of us and not thinking of himself. And so that, again, is a change in our thought life. When you start thinking about yourself and how uh, I've been aggrieved and how I've been hurt and how this was done to me, that's when we need to take that thought captive. That's a hard thing to do because we are ultimately, we think about ourselves most of the time, right? But um, it, it, this is what we've been called upon to do. By the way, I'm going to shut this. I'm afraid some of you are going to start getting cold now. Everybody okay? Okay. Let me know if it gets you cold and we'll shut, we'll shut doors. Thoughts on humility? Joseph. I'm just looking at a fair and strong definition of the, of the word. Um, a deep uh, sense of one's moral littleness is a fair second definition. And I like uh, strong also the uh, humiliation of mind. Um, like humbleness of my humility of my lowliness and my so so it's, it's like really just knowing how like um, blessed are you who are poor in spirit right well that's so, coming oh yeah poor in spirit yeah you're right you're right broken and beggarly in spirit like you know that you have nothing and you need yeah um, it's, it's a it's a it's a awareness of that and a constant thinking or a constant mind of that yeah so you're kind of going back to humility as a proper understanding of of who you actually are. The problem is it's real easy to elevate that <laughs> or lower it sometimes to less than it is. So that idea of it being outward focused. Any other comments on humility before we go? Well, it's reality, right? Say that. No, explain Re that. Reality that we, that we are what Joseph said. We are beggars, broke, dead, and we've been given the best. Yeah. So if, we're, if we live with an awareness of that great reality, then, then it's really hard to, to think of yourself as better than you, as you are. Yeah. And, and really, anything that you, everything that we have has been given to us. Even your talents, your abilities, your upbringing, um, the, the drive that God has given to you, if you're really driven, the... The, the, everything we have is, is a gift. And to become proud of those things is, is to take credit for something that isn't ours. Yeah. Two of them here. Let's go to Darla first and then to Rob. And, and that actually does go back, that's why these three are all kind of tied together actually, because uh, the compassion comes from understanding that we could be that same person, right? That old phrase, there but for the grace of God, go I. I, 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 I have what I have by God's grace, and that should affect the way that I, that I live. When, when you were saying, uh, using the definition, not thinking of ourselves at all, uh, Jesus was saying, for us to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow him. The idea of deny is to not even have any acquaintance of yourself. Yeah. So there's no thought of even, hey, I know Tom Ashley, but I don't know Tom Ashley. I mean I don't I know Rod Holt, but I really I don't want you know, I don't even know who he is, you know. I mean I don't want to put him 
off to the point I don't have an acquaintance with him. Yeah. So, okay. Anything else on? I, I know that's real too quick to go over humility. We just have a whole list here that we're supposed to go to. Let me just mention a couple things. Um, Paul was writing to Greeks and Romans, people who were in that world, the Greco-Roman Empire. Um, this was almost a non-existent concept to them. Um, we take it for granted that people are somewhat naturally compassionate, that everybody has the, the sort of compassion in them. The Greeks and Romans were actually proud of not being compassionate. Compassion was weakness. Um, when a baby was born in Rome, the father got to decide, does this child live or die? That was the father's decision. And when they said no, you didn't kill the child, you just set him outside and allowed him to die uh, from exposure. Uh, when you got old, if you were sick, if you were maimed or hurt or unable to work, there were no soup kitchens, there were no orphanages. You just went outside the city by the wall and died. It was a brutal society and along comes Jesus Christ and all of a sudden for the first time perhaps in Roman history the people are talking about being compassionate and kind. Um, humility, this is an interesting little tidbit, there's no word in Greek for humility. You were not, you did not want to be humble as a Greek because slaves were humble. People who had been defeated were humble. Um, uh, people who were important were ones who exerted themselves, which brings us to the next one. This is totally countercultural to the world that Paul is writing to. And I would say as we move further away from, from any sort of understanding of Christian principles in our society, we're going to see the same thing. Because it isn't a natural response of people to be compassionate and kind and humble. It's the opposite. So these are countercultural at the time and I think are going to become more so as we go on. Let's at least get through, I was hoping we'd go further, but as this has been good, meekness and gentleness. Uh, meekness is one of those terms that even though we keep hearing it, we kind of have a, a wrong view. We think of meek as timid. We think of meek as kind of a shrinking violet. I remember hearing once somebody said, um, the meek will inherit the earth, and then in parentheses it said, if that's okay with the rest of you guys. Um, but, but that's not meekness, okay? Uh, the definition of meekness, it actually was a word that was used in Greek for um, taming, for a tamed horse. A tamed horse was, was um, a broken horse was meek. The concept there is power under control. Power under control. You think of a horse, um, Benjamin, that works with his horses. You're, you stand next to a horse. I know some of you are horse people. Those are powerful animals, right? I mean, they are amazingly powerful. Was that? A car has horsepower. Yes, a car has horsepower. Well, a car has more power than a horse does, actually. <laughs> but, but for a beast, and yet you can take a tame or a, a broken horse or a a horse that's been, been tamed, and you can put a little child on his back. Uh, by the way, you can go on his back too, and you're not a whole lot, I mean, if that horse wanted to hurt you, it's gonna hurt you just badly as it can hurt a child. The idea of this is power under control. Um, we see it ultimately in Jesus Christ, power under control. 
Um, my picture, when you think of power and control, I always have this picture of the, um, uh, if, if you ever watch some of the nature videos, you'll have these lions, right? You have the big, massive male lion with his pride, and these little cubs can crawl all over him, right? Just like daddy with his children. You know, I used to roughhouse with the kids. I could beat them every time, right? <laughs> I could hurt them if I wanted to, but you pull that power back in. And so the idea here is that when you're dealing with other people, we are to be gentle with them and, and, and not hit them with everything that we've got. Um, interesting verse on this, if you go back to Galatians uh, chapter six. says, uh, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Um, we have a situation where church discipline is needed. What's the right response? It's not to ignore it. It's not to not deal with the issue, but it's to deal with it gently, in gentleness, power under control. Um, so this one is also very outward focused. All of these are. Um, Paul talks about, um, about his um, a coming to people in a spirit of meekness. That even though as the great apostle, he could order them to do things. Instead, he comes to them in a spirit of, of meekness and gentleness. Right? Um, we, we all deal with people where we can hurt them easily. And in all sorts of different situations. And I think that's the idea. It's keeping in mind that we're dealing with people who need to be treated in a particular way. Any comments on gentleness before we go on? Rod. You and I have been in YRD of, of uh, Pleasant Valley, Kalinga together, and we have the dynamics of the Calvinists and the Arminians in that yard, and, and it's just it's just extreme. Every yard in prison has its own different dynamics in it, but in this one, there's just this the Calvinist people. Their their theology is just strong, but their presentation anything but what we've just described right here yeah. for those others who don't necessarily believe them. Yeah. And uh, it just gets ugly. And what they will do is they will point to, and I think this is important to mention, they will point to, because I've been on that yard, to Jesus and the way he talked to the Pharisees. And they'll say, well, see, Jesus wasn't gentle with the Pharisees. So we don't have to be gentle with these other folks. Um, and, and this is where I, Jesus was meek. This is what I like to tell people. Je Jesus was not mean to the Pharisees. Jesus was, he was meek with the Pharisees. Remember what the definition of meekness is. It's power under control. Was Jesus's power under control when he dealt with the Pharisees? Very definitely. There were things that they had to hear and they could only hear them if he used his power 
the way it was meant to be used. That was power under control. It doesn't mean that hard things aren't said. It doesn't mean that there's never pain that's involved, but the way that you say it and the way that you do it is appropriate to the situation. And that needs a ton of wisdom, right? Parents with your children, a, a lot of wisdom there. Um, those of us who are older parents with adult children might even need more wisdom at that point. Uh, it's well, probably not, but what happens is we don't see it when they're younger because we can just do that. But when they're older, they, have, they, they respond differently. Um, the way we deal with the people around us, power under control. Um, and you say, well, I don't think I have much power. But, but if you have the power to offend and the power to hurt with what you say and do, that, that needs to be pulled under control. And sometimes, I mean, I, I, have, I have seen it at the leadership of our church. Um, I've, I've actually seen both of these, humility and meekness. Um, I don't know if that will always be the case, but right now with the team that is in, you know, running the church, this one right here, places where somebody could pull rank and say, we're doing it this way and we don't do that. And humility where people are willing to say, I don't have to always have my way. Um, and, and that's the way it should be in our families and in our work environment and with the people around us. Once again, the question is, how do you do that? And, and I, I think I keep coming back to take every thought under a captive for Jesus Christ. Um, think about what it is you're saying. And if you do offend somebody, go to them and talk with them and, 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 and apologize uh, when, you've, when you've been something other than gentle. Any other comments on gentleness? Do you think, for example, of power under control, right? So the same God who was destroying Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin was being reviled to his face in public and didn't just wipe them out. Yeah. And, and that's amazing. Yeah, standing in front of Pilate is probably the, the great example of meekness that he kind of says... You have no control in this situation, right? Don't you know I can sentence you to death? You, you have no authority. But all you have but's, but's been given to you. Yeah, that was an amazing, yeah. Okay, let's, uh, we're out of time here. Um, we may go further next week. Um, patience, we'll talk about that. Uh, this one I want you to think about, forgiveness. Um, we talked about it a lot in Jude, but what does it say here? It says to forgive um, as Christ has forgiven you. Boy, that puts a different spin on it, huh? Uh, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Um, Christians are be to forgiving people. We're to be. Uh, these things will work out in being patient and bearing with people and forgiving each other. Love is what ties it all together. And then this is what it looks like when we're together. So... Um, anyways, uh, think about it. Think about the idea of putting on and putting off and what that means and how we do it. Um, I think four of those are enough to work on. If you get that all taken care of this week, so you come back next week and everybody's perfectly compassionate and kind and humble and meek, then we'll move on to the next lesson. So, yeah, and well, we, we won't say we're humble. We'll just um, hope that we are. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer.